What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Hey everybody, welcome back to Real Ripe and Real Rotten. This is a podcast where we look at the highs and lows of your favorite Hollywood celebrities. We're continuing our coverage of Wes Craven with his B-roll. You guys were craving more Craven, and here we are to talk about Scream. Uh, this, <laughs> this, is, this is a podcast where we use Rotten Tomatoes to look at the high and the low of someone's filmography. And right now we're doing the B-roll, though, which is where we choose neither the high nor the low. We go with something that we think is more appropriate, something that we pick, something hand-picked, handcrafted, I guess you could say. My name is Wes. I'm joined by Clay and Amanda. Guys, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Amanda and Wes? <laughs> I'm pretty good. We're good, all, to, good to talk to you guys. We're all ready to go. Um, we watch Scream. I'm looking forward to talking about a universe where the school bus drops you off at your house. <laughs> Did you guys... I, I was re- listening to a podcast where they were going off on... Uh, what's her name here? I can't think of the... the, Nef, the, the Nev Campbell? Uh, Casey. 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 Oh, Casey. Oh, the main, the fir- the main character Drew of the movie. The first one. There's a, pod- no. a podcast I was listening to just going off Wait. on her for riding the bus as a, a whatever she is, a junior but, or something. Oh, you're, you, mu- you mean Sydney. 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 Who am I talking? Casey's yes. the... Uh, re- no, what the hell's going on? The, the, Wes did Drew watch the movie. <laughs> Drew, Drew Barrymore, not Reese Witherspoon. Drew Barrymore is Casey Becker, so it's Sydney. Did you know that Reese Witherspoon is in this movie? <laughs> uh, but I don't know. Did you guys ride the bus for high school? Uh, yeah, I did. Well, until I got a car. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. My high school didn't have a bus. (laughs) 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 Budget cuts at the state level. Yep. (laughs) No, I I rode the, uh, I rode the bus until, uh, a car became appropriate, but I, I don't know. I don't know if they say they're seniors or something in this, but I don't know. I just thought, I thought they were being incredibly harsh towards the bus riding. Why, Why were they going off on her about the bus? I don't know. Just, I guess this must've been a real upper crust bunch of one percenters here who just don't ride was, the bus yeah there are so many other things you could go off on her about in this movie why why pick the bus riding how how much more upper crust can you be than everybody in this movie i know she's yeah. her, her yeah. father has a, her father's like a mechanic he dresses like a mechanic yeah. he lives in a beautiful palatial estate everybody yes everybody lives in a palatial estate yes. and that house at the end i know we're getting ahead of ourselves is one of the biggest, most beautiful houses I've ever seen. Yeah, it's apparently a real house too. That's like they didn't I really do much with even, it. I think you can even rent it on Airbnb. Really? Oh, really? I, yeah. I, I think so. I could be wrong. Don't quote me. But let's uh, let's take a break. We're going to play the trailer, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to break down Scream. Hello. Hello. Who is this? You tell me your name. I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Well, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now, he's taken his love of fear. Hello? Hello, Sydney. One step 
too far. Do you like scary movies? What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act. She's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Under any circumstances, say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Get another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. He didn't make the rules. The police are always on track. They watch prom night and save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. So if you're unfamiliar, Scream is a 1996 American slasher film directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson. It stars David Arquette, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Skeet Ulrich, Drew Barrymore, and no Reese Witherspoon. It was released on December 20th, 1996. It follows the character of Sidney Prescott. I should have read this before we started talking. A high school student in the fictional town of Woodsboro, California, who becomes the target of a mysterious killer in a Halloween costume known as Ghostface. It's at 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics' consensus says, Horror icon Wes Craven's subversive deconstruction of the genre is sly, witty, and surprisingly effective as a slasher film itself, even if it's a little too cheeky for some. So we're going to talk about it now. Uh, here's my hot take for this, and then we'll go into whatever you guys want to talk about. This... um. I find this movie distractingly 90s in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> like I find I find it hard to differentiate the fact that it's a 90s like a super 90s movie with what's intentional for style. Does that make sense? Like it's so it's so 90s that I'm like is this intentional or is this just a byproduct of the era? Yeah, it's sort of um it, all of this stuff kind of happened very similarly similarly <laughs> around the same time where as i was watching this i was thinking to myself this is like a horror version of clerks essentially <laughs> where but it's not quite as uh you know um the dialogue isn't quite as on the nose it's pretty close but um i think this style of dialogue doesn't age super well because for some reason in the mid 90s it was like the first time People thought it was people decided it was okay to talk about pop culture in like a long as in a movie as though mm -hmm. it existed out in the world of the movie and not just outside the world of the movie in a meta way. Yes, yeah, being yeah. meta, yeah, being meta about things. And it was all over the place. I and I remember, I remember, I loved Mallrats mm -hmm. uh, more than Clark's because I was a huge comic book nerd, and they were just the whole movie's them talking about comics. I tried to watch that re recently, and I had to shut it off after about ten minutes because I just was cringing the entire time. <laughs> Mallrats is really bad, though. We'll have, we'll have to do Kevin Smith at some point because I think like the 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 chasm between his good and his bad stuff is so like remarkable to me. But that, that's another thing for another point. Yeah, I just um. Between like the actors like Nev Campbell from Party of Five, we've got Drew, mm -hmm. Drew Barrymore, Courtney Cox, Monica's here being scary. We've got David Arquette before he was married to Courtney Cox. Um, yeah, it's very just the 
the way that it looks, I find it almost like distracting. And it has that like th- like there was a certain way of when they filmed groups of teens in the nineties, they all look like this. Like this is just like how you shoot a group of teens in the nineties or whatever these people are supposed to be. Um, mm-hmm. I just I, I I find it distracting almost in some ways. Like it, it has nothing to do with the movie. It's just it feels like if Craven's trying to get like the tropes of the slasher thing down, it bleeds so perfectly into the 90s vibe that it's really hard for me to distinguish between the two and i i almost see it as more of um like a relic than an actual sort of like um influential turning point in horror movies like it feels it feels extremely old at this point um just because of like nightmare feels newer in some ways like it doesn't feel like as dated as nightmare somehow because of the uh, the stylistic choices that i went with and the actors and all that stuff that's interesting. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, but I think in a lot of ways that's a symptom of trying to make something that feels extremely modern in its time, where the people who watched this when it came out in, what was it, 1996? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see that in 1996, it feels very modern. It feels very, like, trendy and, and on-trend. And so I I can see how in the moment it must have felt like wow yeah this is really capturing the youth and now you know god 20 years later it's just like yeah a relic it feels very very old did you guys well, like was- this did you guys uh, sorry yeah go ahead clay but did, my point like did you guys enjoy this movie just so we can be upfront about it or like do you I think did. this is a good movie yeah i i still i still really enjoy this movie hmm. um again again i think the big be- i think the beginning still works pretty well uh, mm-hmm. despite its um dated dialogue and 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 uh self it's not even it's not self referential i guess it's kind of self referential but uh i was just going to say that that datedness is kind of by design mm. um i was i was watching a documentary about the making of it and they mentioned how kevin williamson specifically wanted it to feel of the moment and not feel he wasn't going for timeless he was going for very much this is a movie of the time that it's being put out so that it's that you're probably right that it is it does feel more dated than um a nightmare in a lot of ways because if you if you look at nightmare the the style and like um of the world doesn't feel particularly like 1984 it just feels kind of like general yeah uh it's fairly bland Mm -hmm. whereas this yeah this is very much rooted in 1995 96 um so i guess you're kind of i guess you're kind of he kind of decided to go in one direction versus the other and 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 take with it the the pros and cons of that decision Mm. yeah but i I actually sorry i just piggybacking off of what clay said i kind of like that because to answer your question a second ago Wes if I like the movie or not I like every everything of the movie except the scenes that Billy is in <laughs> until Billy is revealed to be the killer mm-hmm. we can get more into that later Do you, did, <laughs> I don't mean to cut you off mm. uh, there's a, 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 a bit of foreshadowing that I never caught. The Don't Fear this. the Reaper? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I didn't I notice it until this time. Before. I I, I was, I was because it's such a different version of the song. It's like an acoustic version of Don't Fear the yeah. Reaper. And I was sitting there, I was mm. like, what is this song? What is this? It's like, oh, it's Don't Fear the Reaper. I was like, what yeah. foreshadowing? Yeah. 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 Their romantic moment. Very clever. Um, but, but talking about the intentionally dated aesthetic of that movie, 
I kind of liked it because in a lot of ways, I I was really young. I saw this pretty close to when it came out, which would have put me at about eight or nine years old. Um, So it was actually one of the first horror movies I ever saw. And welcome to the jungle. I know. (laughs) Um, But something that's kind of great about the fact that it is so specific to its time. I don't think I've rewatched it since I was really young Mm. and rewatching it now. I remembered so much of my feelings then and the feelings I had about that movie and the different beats and the moments and the reveals and the various twists that I actually kind of liked the fact that it was so dated. It made it so specific that it really like conjured up that, that time for me at least. The, uh, Matt Lillard, I mentioned if you guys liked it because Matt Lillard had a funny quote about it uh, that I thought was like, I didn't realize until he said it that I, I think I kind of agree with. He says the first 10 minutes in the last half hour are great and the middle is a slog. Mm-hmm. That was basically his um, his description of it. <laughs> and yeah, I don't I don't think I necessarily disagree with that. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a slog, but it's. They had to they insert the principal killing because there was no killing in the original script yeah, that, like, for I, a long did, time. Yeah, I looked it up and I did. I did read that because watching it through this time, I was going, "Why the hell does he kill the principal?" Yeah, it apparently <laughs> like the, fixed a, it fixed a script problem though because yeah. they couldn't figure mm. out why to get rid of the kids at the end. The kids who aren't oh. part of the story, they have to have the re- they they run off when they hear that the principal's been murdered, and that's they they needed to clear the house and they couldn't think of a reason why, but it worked in that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I. Uh, one one of the things that I've always kind of there's there's a few movies from that I saw from around this time, so I would have been like ten or so uh, that I think were a little ten or eleven that were a little bit above my pay grade as far as like the plot goes. <laughs> Your pay grade as an eleven year old. Yeah, my pay grade as an eleven year old. Um, and it and it's I very clearly remember them being this one. And Mission Impossible, the first Mission Impossible, which I don't know if you, if you watch that movie now, I still I don't think I could tell you what happens in that movie or what the plot is. No, it's super but, complicated. Yeah, yeah, All of those are. This one is less complicated, but I still remember like not totally shaking out exactly what was happening mm-hmm. um, because I feel I don't know how you guys feel about this, but it, I it feels like to use a wrestling term that the 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 story's a little overbooked um, <laughs> in that when they finally lay out what the plot is. It's really, really a lot of backflipping going on. Uh, like the whole Cotton Weary thing, fe- that whole plot line feels sort of, I don't know. It just it just feels like there's a lot going on that takes a lot of explanation. Why, why does Liv Schreiber play that Cotton guy? I can tell you. I can actually tell you that. I, I know why that is. Uh, because he had done a movie uh, with Dimension called Phantoms, uh, in which Affleck is, of course, the bomb. And... Uh, he was friends with uh, one of the producers or something, and the producer is like, we need someone to play this five-second scene. Can you do me a solid and just come over and hang out for the day? And he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. That was it. Yeah, because he's, he's only in that footage, like the reporter footage, I think, right? That's the only time you ever see him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, that's so. that whole thing, uh, even at, when I was watching that at the time, I kept thinking, oh, well, they show this guy's face. He must be coming back in some capacity. Well, doesn't he show up in in the sequel? He does. He does. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it always stood. That element always stood out to me as kind of strange. That that they sort of lay him out as a red herring, but they never really do anything to bolster that. Um, yeah. It just it's there's a lot of stuff 
there's a lot of stuff, s- plot stuff, trying to support what is more or less a pretty straightforward slasher yeah. story. Yeah. I mean, Dewey, Dewey and um, Gale, I think, are somewhat unnecessary characters, really. Um, and the, they, they have a lot of screen time between them. So, like, David Arquette and Courtney Cox's characters are... They're they're functional and they're involved in the in the plot, but it's um, it, it's almost like superfluous information that Gail provides really about everything, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like yeah, I guess mm-hmm. this kind of sets the stage for the reveal of like the mother and everything like that. But they, there are a lot of characters who end up just being uh, murder bait, I suppose, by the end of it, which is fitting of the the movie and it's kind yeah. of that tropiness. But I don't think it really well, drives the narrative in the middle of the the thing. They're murder bait, but none of them get killed. Like, I, I would disagree. I like, think the friend, the friend is, I guess, yeah, who I like was thinking. Tatum, yeah. Of of Tatum. all of her friends, only one of them gets killed. Mm-hmm. But I think the the point of having uh, that many characters around is is it it places a lot of different people right. who are red herrings about who's the killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and at least they get hurt because yeah, yeah. You know, it, there's nothing there's nothing worse than having a bunch of characters like that, and then they just kind of get off scot free. Everybody everybody gets it a little bit. The um, the opening is still iconic. I think the opening is yeah. the best mm. part of the movie. There's one. Oh, yeah, it there's, is. There's one yeah. section actually later that I really like. I'll just say now is the um, when uh, they're at the party and Ghostface sneaks up on uh, Jamie Kennedy, who's watching yes. the thing, watching the movie, oh, saying like, yes. "Look behind you." But then yes. that's good enough. But then it cuts to the surveillance van, and they're watching uh-huh. it, going like, "Look behind you." So it's <laughs> well, it actually that's it one works of my on it works too. on an even a third level. Because what he's saying is, Jamie, look behind you. Oh, Jamie, really? look behind you. And oh, I never put that together. Yeah. He was like, oh, he's he's essentially talking to his own character in the movie that he's currently in. <laughs> yeah. So this is like, when they did that, that must have been like a meta explosion. Yeah. I, I like that moment. But other than that, the um, the intro is really what I think holds up well uh, across everything else. I think that they, it, you know, it was kind of tricky at the, that point where they cast Drew Barrymore and she's lead, she's prominent on the poster and then they kill mm. her off in the first uh, 10 minutes or whatever. And I think they do a good job of, um, they balance, it, it's probably the closest that the movie gets, I think, to balancing the comedy satire and the horror aspect of it because mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's legitimately scary and her body hanging from the tree is probably like the most frightening thing that happens in it, yeah. I guess. But they also do a good job of really setting the stage of the repeated runner joke that people can just beat up Ghostface as he's chasing them. Yeah. Uh, yes. And and I like that and I think it's clever and I, I think that it, it works well. I, I even don't mind the dialogue that uh, you were mentioning, Clay. I think that it works pretty well in like the way that the script is trying to be that sort of meta thing but i I think the opening works almost as a short as to what this movie is supposed to be and i think it's effective at it what's your favorite scary movie uh i don't know you have to have a favorite what comes to mind um halloween you know the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters yeah what's yours um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Well, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? <laughs> Why? You want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? Um, no. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you say? Yeah, I actually, I I like how it also 
going back to uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street, it sort of echoes uh, Tina's killing at the beginning yeah. of that movie mm-hmm. where you, you start with this, you know, cute blonde girl with a bob who is sort of having, you know, her boyfriend's there, her boyfriend's not there, like, and and you think she's going to be the main character and then she's very brutally murdered in front of you and the whole narrative has to pivot to focus around somebody different. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street parallels in this, I think. Um <laughs> like the not janitor just, not just Craven dressing up like yes. uh, Freddy Krueger, yeah. <laughs> uh well, I mean, you know, you've got uh uh dollar store Johnny Depp Skeet Ulrich crawling yeah. <laughs> in through his girlfriend's window. <laughs> Who whose last name in this movie is Loomis. Yep. Yeah. Which is the psychologist in oh, yeah. Halloween? Uh, oh, Dr. Yeah, Loomis right. from yes. Halloween. And he, yeah. that which actually it also comes from originally from Psycho. Because oh. uh, the character of the, the brother of the girl, who, one of the girls who gets killed, I think is his last name is Loomis. Yeah. Ah. It's actually, I believe it's actually Sam Loomis, which is, I think, the Donald Pleasance's character in Halloween. Mm. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of that stuff. Um, like she. Uh, when Drew Barrymore's parents come home, the father says, mm-hmm. uh, go run to the McKenzie's and call yep. the cops, which is exactly what Jamie Lee Curtis says to the kids to do in Halloween. Oh, nice. So there's a lot of like, <laughs> oh, my favorite one, another one which I didn't notice until this time, Linda Blair is in this movie. Wait, where? Yeah. Linda Blair has a cameo as a news reporter. When Sydney comes to school, there's a <gasps> reporter who gets in her face oh, for half she, a second. Is she the one who yells, how did it feel to almost be butchered? The people have a right to know. That's it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then, and I, and I was like, is yeah. that Linda Blair? And she's wearing yes. cross earrings. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. That was, a, that's a good one. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the rotten tomato thing, right? It says it's a little too cheeky mm-hmm. for some people. Mm-hmm. Is that's it? Fair. Do, you, do you guys think that's fair? I, I, I mean, I guess. It, is it too cute? Is this too cute I, of a movie? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I I would much rather watch this than I would than watch like Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, where the entire thing is a giant joke. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think they're I think they're riding the line pretty adeptly. Uh, at did I use I use that? Am I using that word? I think I did this yeah. the same time last episode. I don't know if I don't know words. <laughs> um, limited vocabulary. Where I think. There's a lot of funny stuff in it, but I don't think it's ever played as straight up. This is we're making a big, huge joke here. Mm. And uh, I guess as it was in production, a lot of people passed on it. They asked um, Sam Raimi and I think a couple other fairly famous horror directors to do it. And they all passed on it because they thought it was a comedy. Yeah. I'm surprised Sam Raimi didn't get the joke because he's kind of the master of the horror comedy. But uh, um, I think this is an instance of director casting working where it didn't work in vampire in brooklyn yeah because this was a a script that is on the page apparently very funny and then they got wes craven and said all right make a horror movie yeah and so they managed to blend it the right way that doesn't quite work in vampire in brooklyn i um yeah, go ahead go ahead Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say it, it, it's got that same 90s feel that something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer has, I, where everybody speaks in this very specific way. Like even the cheerleader talking to her friend in the bathroom while Sydney hides was, in the that stall. That was a performance. Yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's just like the, the, the character that would stereotypically be the blonde bimbo mm-hmm. cheerleader. And she's like, well, psychologically speaking, this is a deep level of trauma. So... 
And it's like, what? Nobody talks like that. I actually thought about halfway through this movie that I think Buffy probably got green lit because this movie did so well. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. Because Sydney, the way that she handles stuff, feels a lot like Buffy. The dialogue is not – it's not quite Joss Whedon dialogue, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, Proto. Proto Whedon. Yeah. And it has a lot of the same kind of vibe as as Buffy the Vampire Slayer also had, which it was only, I think – Within a year or maybe, uh, yeah, a year or two between this and Buffy. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were related. Yeah. I wonder, um, they sort of, uh, I, I guess talking about, we can talk about performances, but, uh, Matthew Lillard to me is funny in this, in a way that like he, uh, the actors turn in performances sometimes that like borderline annoy me somehow like there's something something grating about the performance like he's too like grabby or too over the top or something but i don't think it's a bad performance on the other hand um mm-hmm. and i think lillard mm. does that he's kind of like that actor like that's his thing is to to sort of walk that line about being like too broad in what he's doing this is this is um benicio del toro in usual suspects level of turning a character <laughs> from nothing into something into, into something yeah and he yeah. he sticks out and you know i think that the uh Acting wise, I think it's all kind of it's all kind of fine, I suppose. Like I, I, I don't I don't really say that I would enjoy this movie like on repeated rewatch. It's funny because I had watched it actually probably like a couple weeks ago, just um independently of this, and then I had to mm-hmm. rewatch it again mm-hmm. last night. And I well, I don't think it's a, a bad movie. I guess this is a good place as any. Like we haven't talked about um jump scares in movies, a horror movies. Sure. Yeah. And I don't like jump scares. I think they're mm-hmm. kind of lazy. And I think that they are annoying in the fact that now they're so commonplace that most jump scares are just fake red herring jump scares that are yes. designed to yeah. get you. And Nightmare had a little bit of that. I don't think Vampire had much of it at all. But I think Craven like goes really hard on the jump scare aspect in this movie. And it's funny because I guess I guess how do you guys define a jump scare? Because I think that in all horror movies you're going to have something that's like a, a startling scare. But I think there's a difference between seeing something visually disturbing quickly and having just the the camera panning and then something out of screen just pops into screen and a loud noise plays and you're supposed to be like you're yeah. like you're building waiting for that moment you know it's coming and then it comes and it startles mm-hmm. you. Uh, but what yeah. do you guys think about jump scares? And I think that this movie leans way too heavily on jump scares, even though it's it's part of this genre. I don't think I really like that part of it. That's You know, it's interesting you should say that because I actually don't feel like there were that many jump scares in this. Hmm. I don't know if that's just me. Maybe because, I, I like I said, this is one of the first horror slasher movies I can remember ever having seen. So I think I have very vivid memories of it so maybe there was less of that anticipation there for me like i, I kind of knew when Ghostface was going to show up yeah but um, and that, that kind of goes to my point though like a lot of it is built on you know something is going to happen yeah, like, right it's, it, it yeah it leans really heavily on the soundtrack yeah 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 i, I mean i i guess I, I i guess i just i can see it the thing I think makes it pay off a little bit in this movie is the reveal that there are two killers. Mm-hmm. So you're sort of throughout the film being like, but how did how did he do that? How did he get from point A to point B so fast to jump out in front of her and scare her? And I, I think having the payoff that it's two different guys 
actually makes those jump scares work a little bit more narratively, but that's just my my take on it. Yeah, I I think I think where the jump scares work the least is in that middle of the movie cuz it does feel like they're trying to keep things you know, tense. Yeah. and jumpy. So that's when you get you get that scene where they attack Sydney at her house, which now that I'm thinking about it, why would they do that? If the if the if the whole point of the plot was to blame everything on her dad, why do they try to kill her at her own? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think um, I think part of it is they get off on scaring sure, women. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like that that sequence feels kind of weird because it does have that that jump at the end where uh, Billy kind of like jumps into frame. Yeah, through oh, the yeah. window, yeah. sort of. Yeah, I forgot um, about that one. They have one at the end where Jamie Kennedy pops into frame out of nowhere, and he says yeah. a joke, and then gets yeah, like stabbed true. or something. Like they, I, I, I just think it's um, it's a the only aspects of this movie that I would say are scary are the jump scares. It's the only thing because I don't think Ghostface is almost comical. Like he's not scary at all. Really, kind of interestingly, yeah. you know, mm. th- which is which is interesting to me because, like. By design, his look is, you know, dime store Halloween costume. Uh, literally, that's what it. That's what it yeah. was. They, yeah. they backed into the design because they found a dime store Halloween costume that they loved. I think they even say it in the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think you can make that. That's a fairly iconic look. And I think if they wanted to, they could have they could have made that thing a lot scarier, like visually scary. But yeah, it it is pretty much played as it seems to me watching it that even though the design of it is dollar store or dime store Halloween costume, they are so aware of that that they don't really like to give you a good look at what his deal is. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of quickly moving past the camera, a lot of, you know, face close-ups. I mean, the face is the whole thing, but um, the rest of him is just kind of like a phantom. But they don't really they don't really do a lot with shadows with him. Um like I I I found myself wishing that uh the scene that there was a scene like um where the principal gets killed. He's got all the lights on. It's not particularly a scary scene. It's no. just a lot of like, yeah, you're waiting for when's he going to show up or when is he not going to show up. And I was kind of waiting for a scene in the movie where they have like someone standing near a shadowed corner and like just the face comes into view or something, you know, something like a, a little, little bit, bit of more a Halloween, visually. A Halloween reference. Yeah. 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 Like something just a little bit more visually interesting. Um, but I think oh, another thing I did want to talk about was kind of go into that a little bit. Um, I think this movie is actually pretty. Uh, realistic looking, mm-hmm. like much more than Vampire in Brooklyn. We were talking about how Vampire in Brooklyn had this sort of like artificial sheen to it. It looked very slick. Yeah, I don't think this movie feels that way at all. No, and I think it really benefits because of it. Mm-hmm. The, I the the Ghostface thing. I understand. Like he's they they don't stylize Ghostface because he's supposed to be this sort of like realistic turn of these these kids are not like. Uh, supernatural monsters really right. like it's just yeah. kids in a costume who are running after people stabbing and that's why they always get kicked down or trip or get kicked in right. the, the dick a hundred times in the movie <laughs> and so th- like the 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 costume works on that level because it's just a kid wearing a costume who's chasing people around with a knife yeah but if you if you remove that scary slasher element that even kruger has you're really left with just jump scares at that yeah. point. You don't have yeah. anything psychologically or like uh, hiding in the shadows or darkness or um, mm-hmm. 
Mm. Like you can't act like a uh, supernatural force that comes out of nowhere. He he, he hides yeah. behind doors, you know, and he comes out from behind yeah. a door. Even, even in the final sequence at the party, that house has the lights on the entire time. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no, no moment where like they cut the power to the house or something and then it's, you know, Sydney fumbling around in the darkness trying to, you know, while Ghostface is, is doing whatever. It's all very brightly lit. And I wonder, I, I wonder if that's also by design because it's, you know, the idea of having this horror in the bright light versus mm-hmm. keeping it to the shadows. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, I think the appeal is more towards um, messing psychologically with the viewer rather mm-hmm. than the characters in the movie. Um, like, I actually think it's really... It says something that most of the characters beyond, you know, there's Sydney, Tatum, and Gail. Mm-hmm. And there are no other women, really. Yeah. And that leaves you with a very broad field of which of these dudes is the murderer. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and, and I would argue at other than Dewey. Because it takes a man <laughs> to do something like that. <laughs> but But other than Dewey. At some point, aspersions are cast on every male character in the movie, mm-hmm. like like Billy, uh, Stu, Jamie and Kennedy. Then Rand- yeah, yeah, Jamie Kennedy's What's character. His name? What's that character? Randy. Randy. I think Randy. it's Randy. Okay. Um, the dad. Timmy's dad. I've never bought the dad. I, we can get into the, the red no, herring thing, but, 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 but finish but what I, you're talking but about. But I think that the fact that the, the dad shows up very, very briefly at the beginning sure. and then disappears and they can't find him. Sure. And if you're watching this movie when it was made, part of you is going to be thinking, well, yeah, I mean, maybe it is the dad. Mm-hmm. Like, he did disappear. We don't know. Even the principal, at, at a point, you know, when he's berating the two kids who that's are one, also- That's one of my favorite scenes, I think. That's apparently, so good. Apparently not in the script. Like, that oh, scene really? is in the script- but Henry Winkler Waving doing him. that with He's the scissors so was was he did that on, <laughs> on by him by himself. But 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 I I'm so glad he did because it gives you that moment of wow he seems really comfortable with that very sharp object. Yeah. So it's like every, every every man in the movie for at least a split second when you're watching it it runs through your head like is it him or is it him or mm-hmm. is it him? So I I think having kind of back to something I think Wes said at the beginning of this having that cast of of characters that might seem superfluous kind of serves the purpose of scattering your attention as a viewer Mm -hmm. muddies the water and exactly you know i think i think the thing that made the story confusing to me when i was younger is sort of a you know a proto version of my my theory about environment when it comes to movies like this because you know as as i said you were talking about the father i never thought the father was involved because i remember watching this when i was younger and completely forgetting that the father was even a character yeah because he's in it for half a second and then he's gone and then at the end it's like oh yeah where's her dad oh yeah we found his car they have that weird that weird one scene in the police station where he's not staying at the hotel that he told her that he's staying yeah and then randy has a line when they're in the video store where he's like just in passing mentions that they can't find her dad yep and i think I think that's why it doesn't work for me because it does that thing that Star Trek does a lot and West that we talk about on Deep Space Nine where 
they're they're talking about a lot of stuff that you haven't actually been privy to. Yeah. Like you're not seeing it happen. They're just talking about it. So they're mm-hmm. talking about the dad who's not there, but they're only talking about him like very briefly. They're talking about all of this stuff with the mom, which is a character we don't know and have never met. We're talking about stuff with Billy's family, who are characters we've never met. And it's it's I it's a weird it it they're kind of it. You know what the the funny thing? This might kickstart you, but you know what the funny thing about the mother is? Like, uh, th- this fits into your. Um, they're just doing a lot of referencing, right? So when they show mm-hmm. the the mother, and it, it cuts to the scene where she's at her Sydney's at her house, and they show the mother on the uh, the news, right? And they say a year ago this woman was killed and raped and killed mm-hmm. by this thing, and you go, oh, oh, it's like. Um, that must be Sydney's mother. She goes, the next scene is she sits down on the couch and picks up a picture of her and that woman from the news report standing together <laughs> just so that the movie can really hammer home. Yeah. This is the relationship because they haven't, they haven't, you haven't had a scene where those two actually exist with each other. They've only told yeah. you about it. So they need you to know that this is the relationship between the two of them. Yeah. It, it feels to me, I think when I was watching when I was younger, it felt weird because that's, it, that's not what the movie felt like it was about. Yeah. It's about those teenage characters. And so having all of this superfluous stuff with the parents never really mm-hmm. felt genuine to me. It's yeah. all to provide motivation for Billy, right? That's, that's it. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah, but I, I actually, my, my big problem with it, because I, I also have a problem with it, I actually think it's, it's the weakest part of the movie, mm-hmm. is trying to kind of shoehorn in this this backstory i was i'm so much more into it when billy says it's more scary when there is yeah. no motive that that like, line and the line about uh movies don't create psychos movies make psychos more creative yes that's all you need yeah because he's a he's a disaffected white guy who seems yep. like he's not as rich as everybody else around him i could very easily see that being the driving motivator more so than his Mom leaving only four bathrooms in his house growing up. Yeah, only, only four, four bathrooms. <laughs> pathetic. Yeah. But and and I think that would tie because clearly what what this movie is is doing in a lot of different moments is tying itself to horror classics, sure. especially Halloween. Sure, like especially that 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 third act where they're you know after the house party where Halloween is on in the background mm-hmm. and they're even like Dewey is going through the house by himself with his gun drawn. And the lights are all out. That's like the one part where it's kind of dark. Um, and it, it co-opts it co-opts the uh, Halloween soundtrack. Yeah, and, they use the and, soundtrack from Halloween pretty well. Like entirely. Um, even, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis's famous screams are, they become part of the scream soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I lost where I was going because I just got interrupted by a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, Billy, the the billion um billion stew were a conscious decision, I guess. There was some hemming and hawing about behind the scenes whether or not they wanted to give the killers motivations or not, and so mm-hmm. they split the difference by having Billy be motivated, and Stu just says he does it because of peer pressure. So it's like oh, basically I, I a non-answer. Yeah, I would have liked it if if they were going to go that way. I would have liked it the other way around. You would have had Stu Billy had be motivation, the, and Billy was peer pressured. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I think Billy is clearly the driving force behind it. So and it couldn't, I, I couldn't be peer pressure. I, mean, I think you'd have to give him a different motivation that could be yes. equally random. Yeah, yeah, it could be that he's just psychotic yeah, and just enjoys crazy. inflicting pain. Yeah. Um, can I ask? Can I ask a question? And this might be a weird question um, for me to ask to uh, heterosexual gentlemen. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> do you think? 
Billy is supposed to be read as creepy for the whole movie, <laughs> or is he supposed to be charming at some point? Well, um, I don't know if this helps answer it. I don't know if it if it does or not. I was watching uh, I was watching a documentary, and they were talking to the casting director, who was hilarious, uh, and her comment on casting uh, Skeet Ulrich was, "I was doing the line reading in the audition, and I just thought to myself." He's so hot. <laughs> that was her entire comment. I mean, he's a good-looking guy, but there's something I, I even think, in his gentle, quiet moments, there is something so genuinely unsettling about him. I think that's by design because they they they're playing do, up that. Yeah, they're yeah, really going They do after such it. a good job of making it seem like it has to be Billy and then pulling that out from under you and they do mm-hmm. it very well. That's like true. the uh uh the 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 first time when he gets arrested, that not yeah. going through because I don't know, I forget what the technicality is. But uh, his phone records are clean. Yeah, the phone yeah. records are clean. That the works out well. They're, they're, yeah, it's the decision to have two killers instead of one gives you a kind of what's that? Uh, Hitchcock story dial M for murder. Is that where you, the, sure. or the perfect mm-hmm. murder? Right, whether you you each do a crime that the other one can't be connected to, and it's random, so it, it fits right. With right. And uh, uh, the second one, which I think is brilliant, is when they fake kill him. Yeah, I thought I've, that's a, that was that's really good. I think that's a great way to uh, uh, get him off the board again uh, to make it that much more shocking when he turns out to be alive and also the killer. Mm-hmm. The um, when he, I, I don't know why I thought of this. Uh, I think there's one big mistake in this movie actually. I mean, it's probably mm-hmm. a nitpick or something. But at the end, when uh, she's you know they've won and Billy's laying dead on the floor and Jamie Kennedy's like, get ready for the one last jump scare. And then mm-hmm. he jumps up, and then Sydney shoots him and says, "Not in my movie." Shouldn't mm-hmm. shouldn't she shoot him before he jumps up and say that? That's actually a pretty good point. Yeah, that I I can see why they opted not to do that, but yeah, you would think that that would make more sense. <laughs> I'm I'm guessing they yeah they had him sit up first because it makes her less bloodthirsty. Oh, yeah, but I think the they, joke it, works better if she's just like, no, fuck that. She just shoots. No, I know, agree. I, I yeah. agree. Yeah, I, I think I the joke agree. works better. But yeah, I think they wanted to actually. I, I think it's one of those things where where they get into a uh, a meta chicken and the egg situation, where he <laughs> sa- where Jamie Kennedy says this is the part where he comes back for one last scare. So is the audience then expecting him not to do that? Mm. So in that case, if they're expecting him not to do that, do we then have to have him do it? Yeah, it's a real mm. blue balls of a situation to just bring it up and not <laughs> not follow through with it. Skeet, skeet, skeet. Jesus. <laughs> Ulrich, Ulrich, Ulrich. <laughs> what kind of name is that? Skeet Ulrich. I don't know. I don't know. It, sounds, it sounds fake. So what? I have to ask you, Wes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, when we talked about A Nightmare on Elm Street, you were, you, you had a lot of thoughts and questions about the concept of people who have sex have to die mm-hmm. that that whole trope how do you feel how do you feel like that played out you know where sydney does have sex but she lives uh i i think it works here actually because he has mm-hmm. sex with her as some sort of psychological this is what your mother did revenge and mm-hmm. so the sex is actually like weaponized in a way that it's not just like random supernatural killer smells it on you or something and then must kill you so i <laughs> I like it, and it's also 
it's also one of the you know the the film's just kind of like meta commentary things on like this is always something that we tropily do in these kinds of movies but i think it Mm. works because of the way that they set up the mother here is kind of the like quote-unquote horror character that he's trying to punish i do i do find that interesting because i was thinking about that too um because they they go they go off on on the famously go off on the rules of surviving a horror movie and you know if you have sex you die and uh i said in the last episode that i feel like that trope is kind of something that was taken from friday the 13th specifically and uh sort of bastardized Mm -hmm. and i think some of that comes from the in that movie slash franchise the villain is very much someone who is going after people who are actively doing that it's very much a uh it's a parent who is going after kids because they're doing things they shouldn't be shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in this movie i think that the inversion works because th- uh that's not the kind of killer that's going after people here it's very much a uh um it's a peer of of the high school kids so in that case, having sex shouldn't matter to the to the killer. If you're go if you're going by this sort of like weird psychoanalytical look at why these rules do and don't apply, mm-hmm. I think the I think the point of view of the killer is a big one as to why that does does or doesn't matter, and uh, which is why I think it doesn't really matter in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Not, like I said, Nightmare on Elm Street the series is not a very sexy franchise mm-hmm. um that's freddie doesn't generally go after people because they've had sex or something like that um so i think it depends on where the the, the motivation of the killer is kind of coming from yeah um it, it, it's also interesting that um this movie to tie into that the this movie nev campbell does not go topless in her sex scene which is yeah. um surprising but it also i think makes sense that it's not it's more mocking the trope than it's actually like, I think, I think you could make the argument like you're making clay that nightmare is more the sex is part of it is part of like, it's like a, just like a titillating thing to have in a horror movie kind of. And mm-hmm. it just happens that you get killed if you have sex here, mm-hmm. they have the sex, but they don't make it. Tit- it's quite literally not titillating. So yeah. they- <laughs> if they, if they really wanted to blow that trope out of the water, they should both be butt naked and just like <laughs> go look, into town. Look, Nev Campbell, didn't show her tits just like jamie lee curtis didn't show tits mm-hmm. until, until she, she went, went legit. legit that's yeah. right and that what was that movie called with kevin bacon is that nev campbell it is nev campbell what's that yes. wild things oh. wild, uh, things. wild things yeah oh. she does not get naked in that movie oh just uh i've, christmas, I've heard christmas i've heard <laughs> i've studiously observed yeah. well i mean if you're in a scene with if uh, if if you're putting the three way sex scene with Denise Richards, I would be a little bit gun shy to take my top off. Too. That's all I'm saying. Fair, <laughs> fair. Yeah, wild things. We'll have to cover that at some point. I think. Honestly, okay, that's one of those movies that I remember watching when I was younger because of the reputation that it had. And by the end of it, I was like, "This is a pretty good movie." <laughs> Like aside from the aside from the nudity, this is actually a solid movie. I mean, it's kind of a neo noir thriller, isn't it? It's like a detective yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's like Brick, only not quite as good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was I talking about with Scream? I've completely forgotten now. What, what were we talking about before this? Billy, I guess. Well, let's just throw it back in. I do one of my actually favorite scenes is the um, when Billy and Stu are stabbing each other. 
I, I really mm-hmm. enjoy that scene. I think that's good. And I think that Matt Lillard really like plays the shit out of that. Like he, he occasionally mm-hmm. goes oh, overboard, yeah. but I think that I think his, you cut me too deep. I'm dying here. Just strikes me as very funny. He's, he's very funny in that scene. <laughs> and when he, when he, when he gives him the phone, he just yeah. says on the phone, hello, hello. <laughs> that, that, that's a, a mirror of my, has always been my favorite scene in this, in the movie. First of all, I'd like to talk about before we get to my favorite part. Mm. Um, so Sydney, it it's just it's again it's a, it's an it's an extension of how the parent storyline and the parents in this movie just feel so superfluous because after Sydney gets attacked she goes to stay at Tatum's house. Mm-hmm. They know what the MO of the killer is at this point that he calls people on the phone. <laughs> and Tatum's mom comes in and mm-hmm. goes, "Sydney, there's a telephone call for you." And she's like, "Is it my dad?" She's like, "No, I don't know who it is." <laughs> And then so she goes but over. Here she, it is. Yeah, she picks the phone up. It's the killer, and the and the mother is completely like, "Oh my god!" So then you know Dewey comes out and his guns out and everything, and then and then everybody leaves, and then Dewey like very seriously goes over and picks up the phone and goes, "Hello," <laughs> and that's just the end of the, that's my favorite part of the movie. Also, I, I would like to say mm-hmm. uh, when she does get attacked in her house. She calls 911 on the computer? <gasps> oh, yeah. my God. Can you do that now? I, my question in all of in my notes, like, the biggest thing I wrote was just, like, did 911 ever work that way? <laughs> I, if, if they're being accurate, she has to uh, take the phone line out of the wall, hook it up to the extension cable going from her room to, like, the main phone line, mm-hmm. and then wait for AOL to boot up yep. before Log she in. can type in 911 right. into the AOL. So I don't think you could do that now. I don't think you could I do that I don't think 911 itself had the capability to receive that message. Yeah, I don't think so either. You've got mail. Uh, the one thing you got so an emergency fast. phone call. They make they they go out of their way to show how every house in this movie is like in the middle of wine country or something yes. and just yeah. secluded from yeah. everything else. But she types in nine one one on the computer and Dewey is there in like thirty five seconds. <laughs> you know what the um. You know, one thing I think that they actually seriously do well is because of that scene, or it reminds me of that scene, is the um. The chase sequences are intense, like a, a nicely intense speed. Like Ghostface is always yeah. just behind her, but they're they're running at full speed, and it's like they. I think they do a really good job of making. I I like the fact that Ghostface is just a, a guy, basically. Yeah. Like they, like he never has any kind of supernatural ability, really. Um, yeah. The, the, yeah, the the one almost supernatural seeming ability he has turns out to be the fact that he's two different people. Right. Yeah. yeah it's too, it, it, he can call or be somewhere else. Yeah. It's sort of the uh, um, it's sort of the running zombie of the 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 slasher genre huh. where um, the twenty eight days later style essentially zombie. yeah, <laughs> uh, which as soon as that movie came out, I knew every, every the zombies all the zombies were going to run after that. Um, but it, it was kind of it because the slasher villain very traditionally is a slow again taken from you know Michael Myers but also very much from Friday the 13th very slow lumbering just happens to be there when you need him to be um excuse me a lot of running away uh it's always a surprise very, attack is yeah, what it's gets always you. a surprise attack mm. but in this one i mean even freddy freddy doesn't run well he doesn't the first one but <laughs> with really awkwardly. long arms yeah. But generally, Freddy, he's a mystical creature, so he can show up wherever he needs to. Right. This one, 
he actually runs. He's a human who runs at full speed and can attack at full speed. And I think that's what makes him that much scarier is he attacks like a human would attack. Yeah. He doesn't attack like a monster attacks. Really effective sound and editing around the knife swiping and knife sticking yeah. into things. Yeah. They, they really make it feel like yeah. impactful when it hits doors and stuff like that. Yeah. Some good stab sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I, did you guys have anything else about it that you were like, I, I, I like the movie. I think that it's interest. It's um, I think it's almost a little bit hamstrung just by. I would almost like to see versions of this that were not just slasher parodies, kind of like mm-hmm. it, it almost feels like it's a little bit limited just because of the fact that it's going off of slasher films, and there's like there's really only so much that you can can do with it. Not that I think the movie drags or anything, but I I almost wish that it was like more all-encompassing of a horror movie. Like it took a lot from a, a lot of bunch of different places and wasn't so uh, limited in the scope of what it was doing, although that would probably water down everything and maybe not make it as mm-hmm. cohesive. Well, I think I think it lends itself to that if if you wanted it to in sequels, you know? Scary movie. To- <laughs> Scary movie one and two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, it it doesn't necessarily I mean you're you're going to you run into Halloween three territory if you make it too different. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think they they could have uh the second one gets kind of weird. I don't know if you guys remember Scream Two at all, but there's like this I don't really remember it. I, I I was reading or watching about about that one a bit, and I guess the uh the script was a lot less tight for that one because uh 30 pages of it got uploaded to the internet like as soon as it was finished mm-hmm. so they were kind of scrambling to change stuff did someone accidentally dial 911 and it uploaded the entire uh, pdf yeah. of the <laughs> you know that did happen on this movie in the drew barrymore scene they forgot to unplug the phone oh, so the, the, the when she's calling and screaming <gasps> into 911 she was actually calling oh, the police station. really oh yeah. that poor person who picked yeah. up that call um but uh yeah so scream 2 the uh kevin williamson was was busy with dawson's creek so he couldn't be there to to do rewrites and stuff so that it makes was a, a lot of sense that yeah. he worked on dawson's creek uh yeah it's his show i think he created it yeah yes um so this there is was a lot of like thing, though yeah, yeah. Th- this is what broke him into hollywood basically there's a, lo- a lot of stuff done on the fly and there's like this weird greek like sp- i don't mean like greek tragedy and just referential like oh well, that's like a greek tra- i'm like literally greek tragedy elements where uh sydney's in college and she's in the 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 drama group and they're doing like this classical greek play and like the climax takes place like on stage it's it's really strange Hmm. so it it gets a little bit weird um by the time you get to the fourth one i watched the fourth one for the first time a couple years ago and there are if i remember correctly four fake opening sequences in a row so it's like two girls being really meta talking about horror movies and then they get killed and then it pulls out and it's two other girls who are no. talking meta about what they just watched and then they get killed then no. it pulls out again and it's a third set of girls who are talking even more meta about everything else that has just happened and that's the beginning of the movie yeah um second yeah, movie kind of gas second movie kind of leans because the second one is it starts with uh people are watching the scream or the scream killer has become like a uh, phenomenon. So everyone yeah. in the audience mm-hmm. is wearing the mask, basically. Yeah, they've they've turned Gail's book has been turned into a movie. Right, it's yes. become a, a big hit. <laughs> Honestly, so that was one of the things I found interesting. The two things I wanted to talk about. Uh, one probably we can talk longer about than the other one. Um, the movie, the last person on screen in this movie is Gail. 
Mm-hmm. It's her doing her news thing at the end. I thought that was a really interesting choice because she's not she's not obviously the main character of the movie. Is that supposed to be some sort of like commentary on 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 something? I, it's just an odd choice. Do you think there's anything behind that? I mean, I I I like it as a choice because so the the actual real life inspiration for this this script in this movie was the Gainesville Ripper. Oh. A a real serial killer in in Gainesville, Florida, who huh. killed five college students in something like 3 days oh, shit. in 1990 and um Kevin Williamson kind of heard about it and it freaked him out so bad that he wrote a movie script in in response to how horrifying that was that mm. that, that this was a real life event and it was huge in the media and i i almost think that this movie in a lot of weird ways kind of prefaces the the current day obsession with true crime and i'm very guilty of this myself in terms of you know true crime tv shows and podcasts and and all of that and how much it's blown up and i think this movie actually examines the role that the media plays in these sorts of events mm. and, and and how they play out in real life. Um, so I, I think having Gail, because Gail is the one who ultimately saves them. Right. Yeah. yeah. So in, in the end, she's the real, you know, you could say she's the real hero in sure. this because she kills the killer. She's, she's the only reason that Sydney survives this whole ordeal. And so I think kind of having her be the last voice and the last person who you, the last main character you see as the camera pulls out is almost a commentary kind of supporting the, the media coverage of these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting is uh, so, sort of talk, circling back just for a second to why there's so much explanation to kind of bolster the story. There's like no character work in this movie at all. <laughs> yeah, like, no. these, these characters are completely empty. Sydney has something. She's got a bit like the stuff with the mom. I think she plays that stuff well. And I think that works well for her mm-hmm. but everybody else is just a complete blank slate it's all performance yeah. the the, the yeah. strength of the character is based entirely on who the actor or actress is playing that oh, person. absolutely oh yeah yeah and i think that's why the middle feels so weird is because they don't do any character work it's just you know trying to get to the get to the ending you know yeah. like there's yeah. that yeah. scene the scene where she gets attacked in the bathroom how long was he waiting in the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> And was he play like what was he just hoping because yeah. he there's no way he goes in there between the time that those girls leave and she comes out because she comes out at we watch them leave yeah he's just like sitting in there like oh boy oh boy yeah she's gonna have to pee at some point but uh, uh that aside the other thing that I did want to mention is um as far as uh Sydney goes as a final girl uh I think she reminds me a lot of. Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street because she yeah. is so proactive. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think Wes Craven likes plucky brunettes. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's <laughs> <laughs> young, young and uh, brunettes is, is Wes Craven's thing. I, she, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was trying to look up Last Girl thoughts about that. I don't know how I feel about it. Like I, um. It almost kind of fits into me with like the sex thing in these slasher films. It's like, what is this saying, kind of? Or is it just like a trope that has become so common that I don't think it's really saying anything at this point? Or is it, you know, is it just like you're supposed to have the girl who does it? Like, because th- these movies are, 
it, like it's a fee. Is there any is there any reason that it's not a female other than to make it seem that the killer could overpower you, right? Like, why why are yeah. they females then? Is that that's the only reason, right? It's because if this was a guy, it would be more of a less of a chase thing and more of like a like a, a fight or a brawl or something. Like, mm. am I just is that the only reason to have a female do it? Or is there supposed to be some Unless- other thing that's going on? Unless you're Ash Williams and your entire character is that you're a huge wimp, <laughs> which is kind of why, which is kind of why Ash is the way he is in the Evil Dead movies is because they they wanted him to be essentially a, a male final girl type where he's just like with in in that he seems like he should be mm. be able to stand up but he doesn't and right. he just wants nothing to do with any of this yeah. <laughs> and this movie comments on it because they, as you were saying that the killers make the point of like a woman couldn't be the killer. Because right. this is like mm-hmm. this needs the strength of a, like the male sex basically to yeah. like to finish it off well, and stuff. You know, it's I've 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 always had interesting thoughts about this because horror movies were a very male dominated genre up until probably the late sixties. Um, you mean like in terms the of the early, characters or yeah, like yeah. the it was it was very much more action angled. So, yeah. like, even in your your original Universal monster movies, the heroes were generally men who were saving yeah. women. Yep. Uh, you get into the fifties, and it's usually men saving women from giant, ant, you know, monsters and mm-hmm. shit. And it's not until you get into your Texas Chainsaws and your Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist that it kind of swings back the other way. And ever since then, horror has been a very female led genre. Mm. And yeah. I think it's 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 interesting. I I've I find the whole final girl thing very fascinating because it's very often looked upon as a negative and very degrading. But I think you can also read it as these movies are about women who are perceived to be without power. Yeah, um, they always win the power. Yeah, yeah, finding the power to defeat a negative element which is almost entirely always male yeah but there's also something more believably terrifying about a female victim like there's that famous margaret atwood quote which is men are afraid that women will laugh at them women are afraid that men will kill them um and 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 that's should i I not laugh at that i mean it's (laughs) a very good it's a good quote she's brilliant um but but i think that's part of why having the female victim and, and the final girl becomes compelling because all I don't want, I can't say all women, but I would say a lot of women who watch this relate to the idea of, you know, you're being stalked. There's some there's a male presence at some point in your life, even if it's just one night when you're walking down the street and some guy f- tries to follow you mm-hmm. back to your car. Like, and and it's terrifying because you feel helpless and you feel vulnerable. And then I also think it's really terrifying for a lot of men. Because a lot of men feel traditionally very responsible in terms of protecting the women in their lives, their Mm. mothers, their sisters, their wives, their daughters. They feel like it's their responsibility to be a bulwark against threats towards these women. So it's men in these movies are generally fairly ineffective. Right. It's like they, they are very frequently put in that sort of position and then very quickly killed. Yeah, well, like, well, look, look, in this movie, look at Randy. Yeah. Randy clearly is is infatuated with Sydney. Mm-hmm. Like, he's really into her. 
and 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 he just wants her to like him and he wants her attention but he also wants to protect her like he stays in the at this house where people are being brutally murdered knowing that he can't really physically stand up to this killer mm-hmm. but he wants to try to protect her and so i think that you know having the final girl trope plays into that for both sexes the um it's when he ties into the you were talking about just like the the female fear of being stuck is females have um mm-hmm. The additional fear that females have that males do not have is rape. Is or this going to turn assault. into a stand-up routine, Wes? <laughs> it's, I've, been, I've been working on. It's, so, uh, what's the deal with women? What's the deal with women walking down? The women streets drive like this, <laughs> but like, sorry, that, I cut that, you off. It, it, um, I guess it could somehow dovetail into the the sex aspect of these slashers, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they they kind of they kind of switch the rape fear into just straight up being murdered in these mm-hmm. movies. Like they don't they. The the pursuit is, I don't know, like the sexuality or something, like really just kind of hides into that or something. But I, yeah, the the monsters are very rarely sexual monsters. Yeah, it's very it's it's for as as brutal as they are, and I think we you know I think Nightmare on Elm Street kind of falls under this category. They they're very rarely sexual. Like Jason is not a sexual monster billy is billy is yeah billy absolutely is i think that's part of the reason why i find him actually a really compelling villain and so unsettling even when he's playing nice guy Mm -hmm. is that he's very much a sexual predator in addition to being a psychopathic murderer and there's that moment where after uh he and Stu have sort of revealed themselves as as we are the killers and he's got Sydney, he's like holding her in front of him and he's got the knife up to her and he's like rubbing his face in her hair yeah. and he's got his eyes closed. He's like breathing into her ear. It's very clearly for him very much a sexual thing. Yeah. And he raped her mom. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> yeah. This kind of puts, puts that on like monster. Yeah. 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 Uh, I feel like it's not really emphasized. Yeah. Slasher much. killers very rarely rape people. No, the, yeah. uh, now that I'm thinking about it, the last literally thing, anyway. The last girl thing is kind of funny because it's kind of a, it might be one of those things where the the trope exists, but it's just like the culture that exists around it really shades what's going on. So you start off movies, mm, right, definitely. as you say yeah, in Clay, where so. women are not in the movies because cinema was mostly, you know, it's going to be male dominated in that kind of action sense at that point. Then you move into the Chainsaw Massacre stuff, which is like, hey... Uh, women have boobies, and if they run, they yeah. jiggle. So let's yeah, yeah. film. It's, it's, let's, it's titillating. Yeah. Right. Let's, I mean, <laughs> let's film that. And then it moves into the 90s where it's now metacontextual feminist takes on it. You know, so they're like mm-hmm. the, the women become empowered by this, and the, the, the storyline is driven more off of that angle than anything. It might just be one of those cases where it's always been the same thing, but however the culture exists outside of it, colors what you think of it. Yeah. yeah and I think there's been an evolution in terms of like, form and and theme in you Mm. know kind of there are more opportunities to have women characters that are more actual characters not just a damsel in distress and not just kind of a girl who's destined to to die and like squirm around in a bikini while she does it um i would like to say that even though i i do find something potentially empowering about the final girl thing i do recognize that in order to get there you usually have to go through a lot of bouncing boobs (laughs) yeah I, I, it's not, it's not like each one of these things is a, each one of these movies is like a, an essay about female empowerment. It's, it's like, it's like that football practice thing where you're just running into the pads. It's just boobs everywhere. Just run. Oh, God. 
<laughs> and good night. Yeah. Uh, no, but I think I think more recent more recent horror movies have been sort of pivoting away from that need. You mm. know, we've been seeing more things like The Babadook and Hereditary, yeah, yeah. where mm. there are female characters who are very very important to the plot, and they're not really sexualized. Babadook is way. great. Babadook is like yeah, the Babadook perfect awesome. so new good. female take on a horror movie, which is to hate Midsummer your child, too. basically, oh, which is like a really fascinating. I have not seen yeah, Midsummer, Midsummer yet. was great. I like oh, Midsummer a lot. Let's uh, take a break. We're going to play a final clip, and we'll come back and give our final thoughts about Scream. Corn syrup. Same stuff they use for pig's blood and carry. Surprise, Sydney. Oh, oh no. What's the matter, Sydney? You look like you've seen a ghost. Why are you doing this? It's all part of the game, Sydney. It's called Guess How I'm Gonna Die! Fuck you! I'll end this just by saying, well, my point of view anyway, um... It's interesting when you see directors, when we do these kind of things for directors and we watch th- three of their movies, um, some directors have careers and I'm not sure why. And that sounds really insulting, but like... <laughs> well, no, I know what you mean. <laughs> like, like if, if, I was, if I was a big fan of Wes Craven, right? Or like if I was in Hollywood and I was an executive casting or picking a director for my movie, I don't think Craven would pop into my mind. As someone that'd be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like set the like do a real barn burner here. I was reading something that they liked Wes Craven's sense of humor. They thought that he mixed mm. humor and mm. horror really well. And we've we talked about that before. We even did Scream about he's fairly effective at doing that. But at the same time, he's not really like a stylist of a director that I'd be like, no. I got to get Wes Craven. Like this thing is not going to work <laughs> without Wes Craven. I feel like you could have done Scream with a lot of directors, like Raimi could have done it and things like yeah. that. So it's interesting to me that Craven has built this career and he's obviously hugely influential in everything. And I don't think he's a bad director, but he's not, he's, he's a workman director more than anything. Mm. And I think that's interesting. Yeah. I think I said something along those lines in vampire in Brooklyn, where I, when I think of Wes Craven, I don't think of visual style. I don't, I, I don't think, I don't look at a movie and go, Oh, this must be a Wes Craven movie. Like mm-hmm. I, th- there's, for whatever reason, yeah, he's very much a workman style director. And I, I was list, I was watching a uh, um, red letter media review of Scream Four, and one of the guys said something that was was pretty dead on, which is Wes Craven movies are either really good or really bad. Mm-hmm. And when he hits it, he knocks it out of the park generally. But when he doesn't, then they're they're pretty rough. Um, and I think what makes him, unfortunately. In the horror genre, what makes you a master and what makes you like someone that people talk about and you come back to is you have more than one good movie. Doesn't have to be more than two, but it's generally more than one. You know, because like a lot of these guys, you know, George Romero, uh, John Carpenter probably has the best batting average out of a lot of these guys. But, probably. Uh, that's even that's debatable on what you consider to be a quote unquote good movie. I think watching I think watching the, these have elevated Halloween for me. Halloween is like yeah. a, a more mm. um, Halloween has like a cinema style to it. Like it's, sure. it's it's very much a movie that he also has this idea to do. And I think it's really clever. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It has an ambiance to it. Yes. In a um, way that Nightmare doesn't, I don't think. And Scream doesn't really. Like, how, there's something, like, it's not all jump scares in Halloween. Like, that thing where Myers comes out right. of the shadows and his face is there. There's a lot of those moments where he's just sort of lingering in the background or outside of windows. But um, I I would just like to say, I think I said this some or something like this when we talked about Nightmare Before uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare, Nightmare Before Elm Street. <laughs> a Nightmare Before Elm Street. Um. I think Wes Craven's strength is that he was really excellent at tapping into the style of the day. Sure. Like, like, I mean, he was almost 60 years old when he made Scream. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Which that's is pretty impressive. Like, yeah. like I, I know there's writers and, and, and all sorts of other folks who contributed and, and did a ton of work on it, but he was still the director. And I think he captured that sort of mid nineties teen vibe really accurately in a way that is unexpected from like a 58 year old dude yeah Mm. i think i think just generally his horror movies work because he gets it like he understands the genre that's why he can invert it so or subvert it so well yeah uh like he knows what back in his first movies he knows what works there to get a rise out of people nightmare on elm street he took everything that had come before it and kind of turned it on its head and that's what he did in Scream as well. He he just he understands it, and I think he. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think he was kind of bored by it because uh, yeah. he even turned this movie down at first because he didn't want to do another horror movie. And he had just um, done Vampire before this too. He's yeah. like, I'm thinking and, I'm done and with uh, <laughs> new nightmare, um, new nightmare. Yeah. Oh right. And right, so right. I think he just was. I, I believe he was kind of bored with the genre, but I think that's because he just knows how to do it very effectively. Whether or not it's an A plus. Every time, I don't know, but he knows how to get us pretty solid, scary movie out. Yeah, he's like he's like a mimic, like like he can sort of mimic and inhabit the trends and and the tropes and the themes and especially whatever's pertinent right now. But but he doesn't have that unique like standout mm. stand on its own style. Right. I think that's what I um I think that's kind of how I think about Workman when I would describe him because. To me, Scream was a success because of the script. Like, I think a lot of yes. people could have directed this movie and yeah. it would have, been, would have been fine in anybody's hands. I don't think Craven is really the reason that this was pushed over the edge. He probably helped it. And he made like the, the mix a little bit better. But I think the <laughs> script is really what changed things for these kinds of movies at that point. So it's he's workman in that he, I think if you give Craven a good script, he has places to go with it. But he's not going to save a bad script. He's not that kind of a director. Sure. Yeah. Fair. I would agree with that. You guys have any final thoughts before we're done? Um, my only final thought is, uh, you know, for a series that was started off as something very subversive and very um, sharp in its uh, meta-ness, it never really manages to keep that going through the series. And I know obviously we didn't watch the other movies, but from what I, from what I remember of them, it just keeps turning the camera in on itself. Mm. And like, I would have liked to have seen as it goes on, take a look at how the, like you were saying, how, how uh, the approach to some of this kind of stuff has changed or uh, whether that's horror or the way people, uh, take in violence in general instead of just sort of becoming an in-joke on top of an in-joke and i wish some stuff had changed like i wish they had done one where the killer actually you couldn't kick his ass Mm. like that was the big change is that in this one he was actually really effective (laughs) 
because then <laughs> yeah, he would be scary again. Job. You know, yeah, yeah he was actually again. good at his job. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just it's one of those series that I, I wish I think as it went on had a little bit more uh, uh, potential to be continually biting in its satire. Unfortunately, uh, didn't go that way. Hmm. Amanda. I feel like this movie is an excellent time capsule. Like w- watching this will make you, if you were alive in 1996 and you remember anything around that time, watching this movie will bring you right back to whatever you were doing around mm-hmm. that time, whether or not you want to remember it. Straightening um, your bangs, just hours of bang <laughs> straightening. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, painting your nails with glitter nail polish because you're, yeah. Um, All of my shoes were plastic and see-through. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting on an inflatable chair while I watched this. Um, L- laughing at David Arquette. Just laughing, oh laughing at I just have to say, I remember thinking he looked so old. Don't when I-, I first watched this movie, Like I remember thinking that David Arquette looked extraordinarily old. Like him, him and Courtney Cox, they looked super old. And now I watch this movie and I think... The two 17. of them, the two of them look really young, and then a bunch of the like yeah. friends look very old. I don't, I don't think anybody in this is a convincing teenager. <laughs> I, I, yeah. at, I remember no, at these the time, forty-seven year olds who are who are running around even, pretending they're in high school. Even at the time, I remember thinking, "There's no way Rose McGowan is like 17. Yes, yeah, yeah Rose McGowan sticks out. I had a funny thing with Amy. Amy always does this, but she has it's the perfect movie for it. She's um, so we're watching it, and uh, Courtney Cox and our cat have their first scene together. And she's like, oh, she's like, this is where they met and fell in love. I'm like, yep. No, we sit there quiet for a minute. She's like, you think they're still, uh, she's like, are they still married? Like, I don't know. <laughs> but it's just, Amy, she's always very no. interested in like the, uh, the relation, the relationship of like, uh, how the, how the relationship is going for a celebrity, like as they were in a movie and now, uh, you're unsure where they are, but I, I always think it always strikes me as very funny to be concerned about whether or not they're still married, but it strikes me <laughs> But they something. actually, they actually had really good chemistry. Like in that, in that yeah. scene where they end up, they, they're sort of almost like driven off the road by the teenagers driving yep. by yep. and, and I actually found that very endearing and it's very clear that they had like genuine chemistry mm. together. Interesting pair. What a, what a strange yeah. pairing of a celebrity. Very this unusual. Is, this is not the, uh, what is that? What is that? I couldn't think, I can't think of that horrible uh, TMZ, right? This is not a TMZ podcast yeah. or anything like that, but we'll oh, we'll God. end it there, I guess. <laughs> We're done with Scream. We did Wes Craven. We covered Vampire in Brooklyn at 10%. We covered Nightmare on Elm Street, which is 94%, and Scream, which is 79%. Last thing I would like to say, sorry, because I forgot to say it before. Mm. Scream saved horror movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. because horror movies were essentially dead in the '90s, and Scream completely leprechaun know, the, carrying the mantle of horror movies in the early yeah. '90s. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Now that, they're back from the dead. <laughs> thank you very much for listening, guys. You can support the show at Patreon.com/slash/ThePenskyFile if you're so inclined. Otherwise, all the social media links are down below. You can follow all of us down there. There's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, blah blah blah. The Discord server if you want to join the conversation. Otherwise, leave a comment on YouTube. You can email us. That's down below. I think that's pretty much it. You guys are going to be doing a podcast, I think, eventually, uh, based off of Scream, I suppose. Do you want to give the, the download on that? <laughs> yeah. Um, Amanda, I hope you enjoyed doing this. Because, I have. Uh, this has been you, great. You're stuck with me. Or I'm going to force <laughs> you to do this. Wes, help me. We're, uh, Amanda and I will be doing a uh, horror, movie, horror movie podcast called The Rotten Horror Picture Show that's going to start probably early next year. And it's going to be going off of the Rotten Tomatoes 200 highest rated horror movies list, which is a pretty solid list. 
Uh, and we're going to throw in some extra stuff in there, too, like every couple movies. Go do something off that's not on the list. So uh, mm-hmm. if you enjoy listening to two people babble about horror movies, uh, there's no other podcasts out there that do it. So <laughs> please come to ours. Come we'll just have a lot us. of jump scares in it, just loud audio for no reason in the middle of it. <laughs> keep people on their, on their toes. Yep, you guys can look forward to that. There'll be another little, uh, another show that'll pop off, and we'll see what happens there. Covering horror movies, people like horror movies. Clay and Amanda love horror movies, so they'll talk about it. But we're done with this. I'll put up a new poll about what the next person to cover is. It's going to be an actor or actress. I'll put that on the Patreon. You can vote if you're a patron. And then Real Ripe will continue. Star Trek continues. We're almost done with DS9. That'll be the day when that finishes. They'll be wrapping up the new year. And I think everything else is going pretty kosher badass is on a break it'll be back in a couple of weeks with a q a and then the third season that's it thank you very much guys for listening clay and amanda hope you enjoyed watching scream good talking to you you too thank yeah, you, you mm-hmm. too. we're done all right guys thanks very much see ya